Lutherans in the UK, Living Grace. This podcast is a joint venture of the Council of Lutheran Churches in Great Britain. For 2022, the CLC has chosen to focus on sola gratia, that is, the Reformation concept of grace alone as the key to our justification before God. Accordingly, this episode looks at the life of faith through the lens of grace, specifically as we Lutherans understand it, a gift from God which cannot be earned nor can it be denied. We begin as we do each episode with a Lutheran fun fact brought to you by CLC General Secretary Anna Kraus. Many will know about the Great Fire of London in 1666. But did you know that it was also a turning point for Lutheran worship in England? The answer will be revealed at the end. We turn now to our main theme of grace, which is only fitting as it comprises part of our podcast title. We wanted to know, what does living grace mean for Lutherans? And how does it show up in our lives? The title of our podcast is Lutherans in the UK Living Grace. What does grace mean to you? Living within sort of inner peace, in some sort of sense, in a very all-encompassing sense. It feels unique. Grace in my life is God's gift to us through Jesus, which comes to us through prayer and through reflection, which some might call meditation. And it comes to me after I've said my prayers in the morning and I have a feeling of calm and a feeling that I can go about and do the day's work in a proper frame of mind, which involves giving to other people listening to other people and being thankful for the gifts God has given me, which must be shared as a Christian. What does grace mean to you? I think maybe it's got to do with the way you feel, which is sometimes hard to put into words. One thing is the blessing at the end of the service, which means a lot to me to receive that blessing from the vicar before I leave the church. I read Paul Tillich, the theologian Paul Tillich, many, many years ago. And his basic understanding of grace is that grace is to be accepted. And that is part of the grace of God, that he accepts you as the human being you are. Being accepted like my wife accepts me, my children accepts me with my flaws and faults and mistakes and so on, that's grace. The recent military action in the Ukraine has highlighted again the experience of so many people worldwide who find themselves displaced from their homeland for a variety of reasons. 
In the midst of such challenge, refugees often find strength in their faith, as well as the grace and kindness of strangers. Our featured interview this episode is with a young woman currently studying at Mansfield College, Oxford, thanks to a scholarship offered by the Council of Lutheran Churches to enable higher education scholars taking refuge in the UK, where they would perhaps otherwise be unable to study in their home country due to political or social unrest. The interview is preceded and concluded by several poems written by refugees, which speak of hope in the face of adversity. I am Hope, Poems by Refugees Produced by the Lutheran World Federation, LWF World Service When there is darkness, I appear by Ibrahim Ibn Yamin. I am the light that shines in the night. When there is darkness, I appear, and darkness disappears. I am the light by Agnes. I am the light of my hope. I'm curious and I want to learn. I'm joking and playing. I want to protect my whole family. My name is Ilham Abdullah Tajasir Ali, and I'm a Sudanese um, master's student here in the UK. I just completed my undergraduate degree at Harvard in May. I grew up in Sudan, in Khartoum, Sudan, actually. And having that kind of upbringing, an environment that is very war-torn, but still being privileged in the sense that I was able to get a good education and I was able to chase my dreams, go to university where I wanted to go, get a scholarship and do all of that. But at the same time, just living in a police state. That inspired a lot of my advocacy and my desire to go into law. And I was just getting a bit into academia. I just did my undergraduate thesis on the Sudanese revolution and the role doctors played. I want to continue doing that, looking at Sudan through different lenses and looking at particular topics that I think would be beneficial to my people in the long term. And I found the program at Oxford. By chance, I was just going around the faculty of law websites. At the time, I didn't have the funds for my program, especially because the funds are very high for international students. And we don't have government support because our government doesn't have money. And we're just in a state of turmoil as a country. And we tend to be excluded from scholarship funds as Sudanese people because of economic sanctions on Sudan that were only recently lifted, but we're still suffering from the aftermath. So a lot of scholarships tend to exclude us or we just don't have the donors who are a Sudanese background. And I spent months just looking for fund after fund. And that's how I found the refugee scholarship at the university. And I feel that the council and the university have been so gracious in understanding my unique position in relation to Sudan and have granted me the scholarship. And I'm out here genuinely living my wildest dreams studying in one of the most amazing places in the world. So talk a bit about the focus of your studies and where you envision it might take you. So right now I'm focusing on 
how the previous regime, Omar al-Bashir's regime um, from 1989 to 2018, how they applied a version of Sharia law in the country when the country itself is made up of a variety of different ethnicities and religions and how that was used to unify the country under a certain Arab Muslim identity that neglected all other identities. But what I do want to focus on in my studies right now is how that impacted women and how they use Sharia law to kind of tell people how to conduct themselves in public life through the use of public order laws um, that dictated many things. So they used religion as a shield to oppressed women. And they did it not only to Muslim women, they did it to non-Muslim women as well. And I kind of just want to focus at how that was particularly used as a tool of oppression. And I also want to emphasize the fact that this was not based on religious teachings. As I said, it's just used as a weapon to get what they wanted, which is controlling women's bodies. And I feel like that aligns with my long-term career goals in the sense that I do want to eventually do work for my country, perhaps in my country, if things settle down. And I want to inspire that kind of change. And I want to contribute to bringing Sudan back to its original multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-religious natural state, because what we're living through right now is not an accurate representation of who we are at all. And people are genuinely struggling. So I feel that um, my research aligns with those goals in the sense that everything that I do in my life in any way is motivated by the fact that I want to give back to my country because it doesn't feel fair that generations are deprived of just the, like, the love that we feel for our homeland. I'm not ready to give upon it yet. Lutherans have an understanding of grace that can be summarized, I suppose, by God has given us a gift and we didn't do anything to earn it. And that inspires us to live our lives out of gratitude for that. And I'm wondering how have you seen grace at work in your life and your circumstances? I think the biggest example would be the fact that I have received constant support in terms of academia. I have received constant financial support for my studies. Like for example, I was on full financial aid for my four years at Harvard and now I'm here and this scholarship is covering my tuition as well as my living expenses. And what's really remarkable about the financial aid and the scholarship is that for Harvard financial aid, it does not take into consideration your academic performance or anything. It's purely needs based. And the scholarship, it emphasizes what the person needs as well. And when you think of scholarships, you think of them as something you earn by putting in the academic effort and that grit. But I feel like these scholarships as well have genuinely taken into consideration the things that are out of my control. And in that sense, I was given grace by being supported in pursuing the things that I want to do so badly, but I genuinely could not otherwise for reasons purely out of my control. And I've worked with the Women and Children's Protection Center in Sudan, um, SEMA Center. It's run by a very good family friend, Mrs. Nahid Jabrullah. And they operate in such difficult circumstances in the country where women are hardly protected by the law. It's a bit of a gray area because some laws are there to ensure their protection, but the application is very much lacking. But the work that they do is pro bono for all these women and for all these children. And I cannot imagine how hard it is to operate in an economic situation like this. And I have seen them time and time again, just welcome people with open arms, no matter what, whether it be survivors, victims, whether it be volunteers, 
lawyers, people who want to work with them, they're always just constantly welcoming people and welcoming their help and their support. And they're even supporting me right now by providing me with materials for my dissertation research. And I just think it's so wonderful to not be jaded by the state of the country, but to still be so motivated and so committed to achieving your purpose, which is supporting women and children and ensuring their safety and their protection. I'm just entirely in awe of how they do it. So you've almost answered my last question without my asking it. What gives you hope? I think perseverance and resilience, that's the one thing that I have witnessed time and time again. I see it in my course mates who are doing their DPhils, which are very long projects. And they're just day in, day out. They're at their computers, at the center, doing the work and putting in the effort, making it happen by any means possible. I see it in my people back home who are protesting every other day through internet blackouts, through violence, they're protesting for their rights and for their freedom. I see it in my family who, despite the fact that we're all in four separate countries, we're always committed to staying close, staying in contact. I see it with my friends and that kind of resilience and commitment in light of everything that's happening, not even just in Sudan, but across the world, the pandemic, that gives me hope. It shows me that no matter how bad things get, we can still pick ourselves up and keep moving on because our capacity for love and our desire to persevere and achieve our goals is limitless. No matter how tired you are, you will still have people who will be here to pick you up. My course mates in the center, even when things in Sudan, like when the coup happened in on the 25th of October, they were constantly checking in on me and making sure that I was okay in the class breaks, messaging me. And I barely knew these people at that point. I only knew them for two weeks, but they were constantly checking in on me. My friends and I would always just be making space for each other and just holding each other as things got tough. Just knowing that we will achieve the goals that we want to achieve and we are here to hold each other through it. And that just fills me with immense hope and just makes me excited for the future, regardless of what's happening right now. I truly hope in the future that I'm at a place where I'm able to donate to scholarships and funds like these, because I cannot express to you how grateful I am for your support. I genuinely would not have been able to realize my dreams otherwise. It's one of the biggest blessings that I have received in my life, especially as of recently in a pandemic where things are uncertain in the political turmoil that my country is going through. And I feel it's very important to support education. And I genuinely hope that this is something that I'm able to continue to do. And I encourage anyone who has the ability or the capacity to support anyone, no matter who they are in their academic journeys, in realizing what they want to do. I 100% encourage them to do it because this is me incredibly, incredibly thankful. And there's no words to describe my joy right now. I am God's Refuge by PC Mana John Claude. I am a pastor a man of God, I am preaching to the nations. God started the human rights in the garden. Being a refugee is not the end of life when you know your rights. I am God's refuge. I am 
The Lady from the Nile by Agnes Filberto. I am the black lady from the Nile. We were displaced and experienced misfortune. We are all meant to live in harmony and embrace each other. Lutherans in the UK, living grace. Reflecting on our theme of grace is Reverend Viestas Vavra of the Latvian Evangelical Lutheran Church in the Midlands. In the Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 1, verse 7, it is said, Beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We have all said things like this. Suddenly, the perfect solution just popped into my mind. I don't know where I found the courage, but I spoke up. I can't, for the life of me, figure out how it happened, but everything just fell into place. Finally, without even trying, I met just the right man or woman. I felt as if I were somehow guided to this decision. It was a moment of truth. The realization came to me in a dream. While volunteering at hospice, I have found myself sometimes saying something really right on. And I now know I didn't think of it on my own or know it before. Somehow I had change of heart and was able to forgive. We have all said things like this and have wondered where the special gift came from. We have found out again and again that more seems to be going on in our life than can be accounted for by or our own efforts or our own level of knowledge. We keep noticing that something more is afoot in the world than just ourselves and what we do. Something seems to be helping us, an empowering force around us that yet seems to be within us. If you look back over the episodes and milestones of our lives, we notice that often something beneficial was happening that was not the result of our choice, effort or expectation. That special assistance, unheard, unforeseen, unplanned, often unnoticed, is a description of grace, the gift, dimension of life. Martin Luther wrote, This grace of God is a very great, strong, mighty and active thing. It does not lie asleep in the soul. Grace hears, leads, drives, draws, changes, works all in man, and lets itself be distinctly felt and experienced. It is hidden, but its works are evident. The Apostle Paul saluted Romans by wishing them grace to sanctify their souls and peace to comfort their hearts, as springing from the free mercy of God, the reconciled Father of all believers, and coming to them through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In the last episode, we featured St. Mary's German Church on Sandwich Street in London, which was undergoing renovation and will officially reopen on the 27th of March. 
This time, we visit the also recently renovated Danish church in London, speaking with their pastor and some of the members. My name is uh, Fleming Kloster Poulsen. I'm Danish and uh, I've been serving as a pastor, the rector of the Danish church for five and a half years. And uh, alongside my ministry, I've been writing four books on faith and meaning and storytelling in modern society. And also I have uh, performed as a storyteller all over Denmark and also in London. Danish Lutherans have been worshipping in London since 1696. The first church was on Velclos Square by the Tower. Today they gather in the historic St. Catherine's Church, a 200-year-old neo-Gothic building near Regent's Park. Shortly after World War II, the Danes were looking for a new home. And at the same time, St. Catherine's Foundation, which built the present church here, they abandoned it because the, the whole area had grown into a very rich area. And St. Catherine Foundation is working primarily amongst poor people and infirm people. So they moved to Limehouse, and that's why the, the church here became available. And the Danes took over in 1952. The church has been recently renovated together with the other rooms connected to the church. Well, I haven't visited earlier. I don't know what is the difference, but I'm sure that uh, you have improved a lot. Yeah, nearly everything has been renovated, restored, renewed. For example, all our electrical uh, installations has been renewed, kitchen, bathrooms, uh, classrooms, offices, everything has been renovated thoroughly. So it is all over. And uh, if you were here two, three years ago, you would know the difference. It's a, quite a difference. The church outside looks English church, but inside we feel this Nordic touch. Yes, and that's because when the Danes took over in 1952, they asked a Danish architect to uh, make sure that the church would get a Scandinavian look. So he was the one who planned for a new altar, a new altar piece. He planned for a new baptismal font, a new pulpit. Also, uh, the chandeliers, the ship, and the Danish coat of arms all those things, he organized it and planned for it. And also, he was the one who decided that the walls should be in a light and bright color. So it's not coincidentally, it is because the Danes at that time, they wanted the church to have this Scandinavian Danish look. What is the role of the church for Danish community in London? I think... Um, one of our key words is that we are a Danish meeting place. It's a church meeting place, but also it's a cultural meeting place and socially, of course. So we are doing a lot of 
Uh, of course, every Sunday we have our Sunday service, which is well attended, but also we have a, a great number of cultural activities for elderly people, for parents and their toddlers. We have book club, film club, and uh, quite a number of lectures as well. And also we are celebrating great Danish uh, traditions like the Midsummer Party or the Masquerade for Children and Families uh, in February. We are still, of course, Christmas and a number of uh, traditions. So in that way, it's a church and cultural meeting place for, for Danes. I spoke with some of the members after Sunday worship. The service has finished, but people are staying for a light lunch and fellowship. My name is Kirsten Leet. I am a member of the Danish Church. I've been coming here since, well, 1968 was the first time. And then I came back in the early 70s and been coming ever since. It's a lovely place, a lovely community here. You can come here and you speak your, lang your own language, which is lovely as well. Living in, in England, this is kind of a little piece of Denmark. For me, it's an hour and a half drive, but I don't mind. How many people come usually to the Sunday service? It must have been about 30 today, which is pretty good when you think how far away they come from. And if you go to a Danish church in Denmark, you'll probably have less, unfortunately. <laughs> Especially out in the, in the villages, you know. I do frequent my local church as well, which is, I live in Cambridgeshire. But I find the, the English service, Church of England, very, very different. I find that the Danish church is a bit more laid back. Uh, not as high church, where here, Whether it's because of the community that comes here, it's very much about being together and, you know, a happy place, positive place, uplifting. And then when you've got a good vicar as well, it helps. Kirsten introduced me to her friend, who also didn't want to miss celebrating this Sunday with fellow Danes. My name is Greta Hauge. And I'm a, a Dane who's lived in the UK for nearly 50 years now. And I've been coming in the church all those years. When I was younger, perhaps not as much as now that I'm older, where I really enjoy coming both to the services and to meet my friends for lunch afterwards. Uh, it's a very, very nice place to come to, both for the social aspects and for the church aspects, obviously. And I know that uh, there is also a small... Danish shop here. Do you visit that shop and buy things there? <laughs> well, I did just now, actually. I went to get some soup. Uh, we're very fond of uh, clear bouillon soup in Denmark, and uh, I bought some of that, and I bought a, a jar with a, a white asparagus. So I'm going to have a very simple meal of soup with asparagus this evening when I get home. I actually have quite a long way. It takes me an hour and a half to two hours each way by car to the church. So uh, it's a bit of a commitment, and I'll probably only do it once a month, but it's enjoyable to come here. While the members enjoy fellowship after the service, Pastor Fleming is already leading a confirmation class for the new generation. 
The data from January 2021 shows that 74% of Denmark's population are members of the Lutheran Church. And we know that about 70% of children in grades 7 and 8 are confirmed. Hi, uh, my name is Emma and I'm from Denmark and I'm 14 years old. And you moved to London when with your family? Two years ago in the summer. I'm William and I come originally from Denmark, born in Sweden. I moved here in 2018 with my family in Easter. How did you decide to attend the confirmation class in the Danish church? Or is it something that all young people do? In Denmark, I grew up with mostly it just being mandatory that we had to do confirmation because it was most people did it. So I wasn't really doubting not doing it. So My sister and my mother and my dad both did it. Uh, all three did it. So I thought I should do it too, like to follow down in tradition. And what about faith? Do you consider yourself like a believer or? Yeah, I've mostly because in Denmark I had a lot of Christian like uh, classes and just in general Christianity. So I was grown up with a lot of religion. So yeah, I do believe. I wouldn't consider my family as a devout Christian, but I definitely believe in Christianity, and I feel like the roots of my family carries down in Christianity. I see that there are a lot of other things that are happening here. There is even a small shop uh, where you can buy Danish food and there are some cultural evenings and discussions and and meetings with uh, people. Are there any interest of you? Yeah, it's really nice because when I moved here, I didn't really get a lot of Danish culture and what I grew up with. So coming here and seeing that I had the option to experience that again, it was really nice. Yeah. Pastor Fleming has experienced being a pastor both in Denmark and for five years in London. I wondered if he experienced a significant difference between the two settings. The basic difference is that in Denmark the economy is not a problem, whereas here the Danish churches abroad they have to fundraise all the time. It makes a huge difference. Do you use also more English language here, or is mostly it's everything in Danish? Uh, most of our activities uh, are in Danish. All our Sunday services are in Danish, whereas weddings and uh, funerals, they tend to be in English because of uh, English-speaking family. So it is a mixture, but primarily in Danish. Talking to people here just earlier, I understood that they really like you. <laughs> okay, okay. Nice to hear that. <laughs> a lot of things depend on the pastor and, and his uh, attitudes and personality. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's how it is in most churches. The, 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 the pastor is a key person and um, that's how it is in Danish churches and English churches as well. Here are the latest events sponsored by the CLC and its affiliated groups. The International Lutheran Student Center is hosting their first in-person activity of the year, a joint celebration of the World Day of Prayer, co-sponsored by St. Mary's German Lutheran Church and St. Dan's Lutheran Church in London. The service will be on the 4th of March at 6 p.m. and all are welcome. 
an evening of music and refreshments will follow, all taking place in the newly renovated German church located at number 10 Sandwich Street in Bloomsbury. You can find more details by searching out the ILSC's Facebook page. On the 22nd of March, at the same location, the Council of Lutheran Churches will present a short lecture on their focus theme for 2022, Sola Gratia, or Grace Alone. General Secretary Dr. Anna Kraus will deliver the keynote speech, which will be followed by a reception. More information is available on the Council's website, lutheran.org.uk, and on their Facebook page. And now Anna reveals the answer to this episode's fun fact. In the aftermath of the Great Fire, King Charles II needed money to fund the rebuilding of London. Hamburg and other cities in northern Germany sent money and other resources, but they asked for a place to worship in their Lutheran belief. The king was petitioned and granted the request in 1669. The church was built and dedicated in 1673. It was officially called Holy Trinity, but became known as the Hamburg Church. The Hamburg Church was one of the very few places of worship that were not Anglican and still able to exist under royal permission before the Toleration Act of 1689, which enabled English nonconformists to have their own places of worship. This is how Lutherans in England got their first own place of worship. Lutherans in the UK, Living Grace, was produced and presented by Anna Kraus, Rebecca Daniel, Wendy Scherer and Melis Sylt. Thank you for listening, and until next time, may God's peace be with you. Lutherans in the UK, Living Grace.